Hi, this is Dan Rundy. This is another episode of Building the Future, Freedom Development and Foreign Policy. Today I'm joined by Carrie Healy, who's the president of Babson College. Carrie, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dan. So how did you become president of Babson College? How did that happen? The good news is someone just called me. Really? They just called me, and at first I couldn't believe it because I was a politician, so I didn't really understand why they thought that I should become a college president. No, you have a PhD. I, yes, but I, I had not used it properly during the course <laughs> of my life, so it, it was, was getting just rusty. languishing, <laughs> and I had been a fellow at you know, various places yep. at, at Harvard, and, and I taught as an adjunct at various colleges, but I, but I hadn't led a traditional academic career, which no. is really what most people need to do in order to be a college president. And what was fortunate was that the search committee for the Babson search was looking for someone who they felt was entrepreneurial mm. because Babson has been now for the last 22 years the number one ranked college for entrepreneurship education by U.S. News and World Report. Excellent. So I'm very proud of that. That just came out this week. So I have to mention that for our 22nd year. And so to the search committee, probably the most important quality was, are you entrepreneurial? And Babson's definition of being an entrepreneur is a little bit different than what people normally may think of when they think of an entrepreneur. Usually you think of someone starting a business. And certainly... Babson believes that those people are entrepreneurs, but they also see entrepreneurship in people who innovate within large corporations or within government or who carry on a family business to the next generation Mm. or even social enterprises that take a new approach to solving a significant issue that's facing society. So they were looking at my career in government as being entrepreneurial because we had focused on things like healthcare reform and some of the approaches that I'd taken to solving criminal justice issues or public safety issues. And so they had some convincing to do with me to, to make me feel comfortable that I understood what they were about enough to lead the college. But in the end, it's been a wonderful fit, and I love our mission. So how big is Babson? Babson is a pretty small private liberal arts and business college in the Northeast. We're in Wellesley, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston. And we have 2,300 undergraduates and right around 1,000 graduate students. So we're small. And so you have a significant percentage of your students, though, are from overseas. That's correct. We pride ourselves on being a global college. And so we have approximately 28% of our students coming directly from overseas, but then another 10 or more percent who hold two passports or more passports who live here in the U.S., but they have significant ties to other countries around the world. And so when you're walking around Babson's campus, you get a sense of it being a United Nations, honestly. And we have all the flags up from our various students' countries, and we try to honor that and talk about what that brings to the classroom discussions in particular. Tell me about some of the kinds of students that have studied at Babson and have gone back to their home countries and have gone on to make good. Tell me about that. Well, one who is top of mind right now is Marvin Trawali, who is 
One of our global scholars who recently returned to his home in Liberia and has started an incredible program educating Liberian youth either around entrepreneurship or technology, coding, trying to help women entrepreneurs get off the ground and helping amazing young people in Liberia find scholarships and get ready to apply to schools here in the U.S. since he found his experience so important. And we knew he was going to be... He was going uh, to make good. We knew he was going to make good. <laughs> and so we look every year now for at least 10 per class, which isn't a lot. Our classes are over 500 people, mm. but, but 10 people who we feel are going to be world changers. Oh, and wow. we uh, go everywhere searching for them, and we give them full scholarships and every type of support you can have during the course of their time at Babson because we believe that this is a contribution we can make to the world. We know these young students are going to go back to their countries and make a difference. This is the Global Scholars Program. This is the Global Scholars Program. What is Babson Connect Worldwide? What is that? It is a wonderful conference, which is a global entrepreneurship conference, but it's also an opportunity for us to have a big party for our alumni every year. And we take it from continent to continent. We have alumni in 114 different countries around the world. So I figured out pretty early, I can't go visit them all. No. So we decided that the best thing to do was to have a conference in on a different continent every year hmm. and to convene all of our local entrepreneurs from that region and to showcase some of the most extraordinary things that are going on in entrepreneurship there and to invite all of our alumni from around the world to fly in and see it. So we started out in Cartagena five years ago. We moved to Dubai, then to Bangkok, then to Madrid, and on our 100th anniversary as a college in 2019, we're going to be bringing it back to Wellesley. Fantastic. So you talked earlier about the fact that Babson is well known for its entrepreneurship work. There is a product or an initiative called the Global Entrepreneurship Monitor. Is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. What is this? So this is a consortium of researchers in more than 70 countries around the world who ask the same questions of people in their society around their attitudes toward entrepreneurship, how many people are engaged in entrepreneurship, how many people are engaged in thinking about becoming entrepreneurs, mm. how scared are they of failure, and does that play a role in deterring them from starting that business if they see that opportunity. And now, with all of this data, we're able to compare countries and say, this is a more entrepreneurial country because they're more forgiving about failure, mm. for example. They're more willing to take risks. Or, you know, in this country, people don't even see any opportunities for entrepreneurship. And maybe they're so worried about failure that they'd rather not try. And once you have that data, then governments can act on it they can say, okay, we're going to try to target, for example, bankruptcy laws that might punish people who fail in business over much, mm, you know, exactly. and, and therefore discourage entrepreneurship. Or they can say, oh, you know what? Our women in this country really are very entrepreneurial and they have all kinds of ideas. Perhaps you could launch a program to support them in their development. Talk about where students come from. You are your global college. But where are students coming from? Where are the, if you said, okay, your top three or four 
countries where students come from? Where, where are those, what are those countries? Well, we actually have students from, I think, 87 countries right now. this year, right now. It's unbelievable. It's gone up this year, so I had to hesitate. But we have, of course, large numbers coming from China and India, and we also have very strong roots in Latin America. And so if you aggregate the Latin American students, I'd say that they're easily as numerous as students from China and India. And we have these little pockets of intense growth. Uh, for example, in Turkey, we've become uh, a very popular choice for students there and more and more interest in the Middle East. We have a huge and active alumni population in Dubai. Really? And so who also are coming from all over the world because that's a very international uh, gathering it's place. It's a really interesting place. Have you, you've been to Dubai, yes. I'm sure. In fact, we're opening our MBA program there in January. So really? any of your listeners who want to get really? our top 10 in the world blended learning MBA can do it in Dubai. You were telling me about and you've been helping Saudi Arabia. About five years ago, we undertook a project to try to replicate a Babson-like experience. So the, in somebody Saudi came Arabia. to you. Somebody came to you and said, "Can I copy paste Babson? How do I copy paste Babson? I want to buy it off the shelf and bring it to Jeddah." Somebody said this. Something like this. Something like this. Yes. Right? Yes. And it's not easy to do. No. Starting a college from scratch is very difficult. And we have thrown ourselves into trying to really understand what about our curriculum works, what's essential, what needed to be replicated and brought to this new project. It's in the King Abdullah Economic City, which is right outside of Jeddah. And we have just welcomed our second class, which is 50% women. And I just was over there meeting the students and they are extraordinary. So I'm very glad that we persevered. I hope that this will help the kingdom achieve their goals under their Vision 2030 plan to become a knowledge-based economy and to really focus on creating a, an entire generation of entrepreneurs. Now, it's interesting. I'm on the board of an African university called Ashesi University. So this was a guy who went to Swarthmore in the 80s. He then went to work for Microsoft. He was a millionaire by the time he was 30. African Ghanaian who studied engineering and said, I want to move back to Ghana and start a university. He didn't realize how hard it was going to be, really hard. It's now got 1,200 students in Ghana. And my take is we're going to need, I don't know, we're going to need 50 or 100 private universities like Ashesi in Africa because of the demography, the demographic wave that's coming. And it's really hard. So the sorts of things you're doing in Saudi Arabia, the sorts of things that someone, the person who started Shesi is doing, you're on the board of a startup university as well. You're on the American University of Afghanistan. I don't know how old it is now, 15 years old, 10 years old? No, not quite. I would say a little bit more than 10, yeah. And that is a genuine startup, but it's going extraordinarily well despite the incredible challenges. They were the subject of a, a terrorist attack uh, where 14 people it's died awful. and many were wounded. And we've also had some of our faculty abducted. And so it has been an ongoing challenge, but I can tell you that the students are so brave. The students wanted to come back. There are now 1,000 students on campus again. They persevere, they want the education. I have never seen a country where education was more revered than Afghanistan. The young people there know that they need to become citizens of the world. They need to speak other languages. They need to be able to trade 
outside of Afghanistan to raise themselves out of poverty and, and conflict. And so I'm perpetually inspired by the students there, and I'm just going to do everything I can to help the university succeed. But I wanted to go back and mention something. There's a group called African Leadership Universities. Yes. And Fred Swanaker has been involved with founding these, and I believe there are two of them up and running now, but his goal is actually to found 27 African leadership Oh my uh, word, I gotta meet this guy. Uh, around Africa, and his curriculum is based very much on Babson's. So, so he came to you too and said, I want to so copy we, paste. You know, he, he had met enough people from Babson so he could put it together himself. <laughs> but we are partnering with them. And oh, I that's think fantastic. That, I think that his vision is brilliant. I want to follow up with you about that's really tremendous. We were talking earlier about sort of the use of technologies. There was ta- I asked the question about no cost, and you said, well, the business model's changing. And you said that there's sort of these new models with technology that are emerging. Talk a little bit about that. How's that? How's things like MOOCs or this other stuff, is that impacting you, Babson? So we were reticent to get into the MOOC business, but because we have our IP and it's really all we've got, and mm. we were scared to give it away. But then I looked at our mission, and our mission is to create entrepreneurial leaders who generate great social and economic value everywhere. So how do you get everywhere? This has been the big challenge for me as, as president is to figure that piece of our mission out. And in the end, MOOCs or massive online open courses are a way of getting everywhere. So we have put now 14 courses on edX, which is the online platform created by Harvard and MIT. And we were the first group to put on entrepreneurship courses onto the the platform. And so in the last year and a half, we now have 150,000 students who have taken our entrepreneurship classes online. And that makes me incredibly proud because I'm starting to get to the everywhere piece. So our students, people who have taken those courses, are in 226 countries and districts around the world. So I look at the map now and virtually everything but very remote place up north and North Korea light up. You know, So we're, we're, we're just about everywhere in the world. And that makes us happy because that's mission fulfilling. And then the next step that I've taken around online education is to ally with a group called Illumno that is creating a consortium of universities throughout Latin America and taking online education from premier colleges and universities like MIT or from Deloitte, from University of Barcelona and from Babson and translating it into Spanish and Portuguese and making it available to, to those universities at a very low cost. And the result is that the everywhere part of our mission is being better fulfilled because in the past we've only ever thought about reaching English speakers. Right. And then think of all the world that doesn't speak English. And why are we not caring about reaching them? So I'm having to really redefine my conception of what my mission is and what my limitations are. And so I'm going to start trying to translate our online courses into Chinese and Arabic and whatever other languages I need to to fulfill my mission. I Googled something the other day, and I I saw that something like by 2040, there's going to be 700 million French speakers because of Africa. Mm. Now, maybe I'm mangling the number, and I'll have to go back and look at my Google 
Go back to the Google machine. I need to, I need to polish up my high school French. Right, I know. Right. I mean, so there are going to be 400 million Portuguese speakers, again, because of Angola, Mozambique, and certainly Brazil, of course. We often have a conceit that everything's got to be in English. So I think this is really, really interesting that, that you're translating this into multiple languages. I think that's fantastic. Well, and it allows those colleges and universities to provide very high-quality instruction at a very low cost to their students. Yeah. And I think it solves some of the problems of these struggling universities and colleges around the world, honestly, and not just in the U.S., who want to provide good educations for their students, but there's competition for the best professors. There's a limitation there. And so with online courses, that limitation disappears. You signed on for two terms as president, so you'll be ending your second term in June of 2019. Correct. So on our centennial, on your centennial. So as you look back on your six years as president of Babson, what are you most proud of? I think probably starting the Global Scholars Program. When I first arrived at Babson, we had a large number of international students, but we had no international students who were on financial aid. Mm. Financial aid generally is not available to international students. And I began thinking, how do we actually represent the diversity of the world Mm. if we don't have socioeconomic diversity among our international students? We had great socioeconomic diversity among our domestic students. More than 50% of them on financial aid, and we demonstrated great economic mobility among our students. So why can't we do the same internationally? And so starting very small, we only have 10 global scholars per class of 550 students, but the impact of those students has been extraordinary. And now we have a full cohort of more than 40 of them on campus, and they are transformative because these young people were selected for being the most entrepreneurial global leaders we could find, mm. people who we think are just going to go back and, and change everything in their own countries, and they are doing that to our campus as well. It's amazing. Well, Carrie, thank you for being with us today. I really appreciate it, and thank you for coming down. It was, it's really great to have you. Well, thank you, Dan. I'm always happy to see you. 